If you'd have been listening to the policeman chatting on his radio that night, you'd have heard it for yourself. I was living on Darnell Council Estate in a tower block on the seventh floor. It was two o'clock in the morning. I was in my flat with my girlfriend. We were smoking weed and we were whizzing off our heads on amphetamine listening to house music. The room was full of smoke. The windows were vibrating with the bass line. My eyes were bulging out of my head and my jaw was swinging from side to side in time with the music. Then I thought I heard the door go. I looked at Lisa and she looked back. I turned your music down a bit. I said, is that the door? The door went again. It is the door. Is that the police? They don't knock. Lisa <laughs> went to the door and it was Bob. Bob was a classic old-time drinker and drug user. You should have seen him. He wore obnail boots. He had a greasy ponytail and a face like a weasel. <laughs> Come in, Bob, sit down. Bob sits in the chair in the corner next to the music equipment. I had a little home recording studio set up in the corner. He looks at it, he says, I like that lot, how does that work? So I got up and I turned the tape off that had been playing on loop for six hours. And I turned the equipment on. And I started to show him how I played live house music. Check this out. Lee says, do you want a brew and a butty, Bob? Okay, then why not? She goes into the kitchen. Me and Bob are talking away. And then he says, can I use your toilet? Of course you can. It's through that door on the left. He goes to the toilet, comes back, sits down, we carry on talking. And then he lifts his hand up like this, and I see my watch on his wrist. I said, is that my blankety-blank watch? He said, no, is it Eck, it's mine. So I grabbed his wrist, pulled it towards me and looked, and it was my watch. A friend had given me this once when I got out of prison. And it had a scratch on the, on the glass. There was no two like it. I said, that is my blankety-blank watch. What he'd done, he'd gone to the toilet, slipped into the bedroom, picked my watch up from the bedside cabinet and put it on his wrist. You can imagine, I went ballistic. I used to have a 48-inch long Please issue riot stick, like you do. <laughs> this was leaning next to one of my speakers underneath the Bob Marley flag that was hung on the wall. I got up, I grabbed my riot stick, and I went mad. Who do you think you are coming into my flat? My girlfriend's making you a butty and a broom, and you've got the blankety-blank cheek to go into my bedroom and nick my watch. <laughs> Lisa was saying, Barry, stop it. Stop it. You're going to kill him. You're going to kill him. I don't care. Eventually, I stopped. Bob rushed out of the flat, 
limping, cuts all over his head, blood running down his face, all over the floor. Five minutes later, the police came bursting through the door into the living room. One of them was chatting on his radio. He had a quick look round. The victim isn't here, he's gone. And then he said, he's walking wounded. I got arrested and taken to the police station. The police officer said that night that Bob was walking wounded. This is the term used by the emergency services for someone who's been injured in an incident but is still able to walk. Do you know that in a way we are all walking wounded? I know that most of you haven't been wounded in the same way that Bob was that night. So don't get worried. I'm not going to go and get my 48-inch long police-issued riot stick. I don't do that anymore. But I do know that we've all been wounded by those incidents that occur in life that leave us in some sort of pain. So we're all walking wounded. What can we learn from our wounds? Today I'm talking about the walking wounded. Number one, wounds are a legacy from the past. The online dictionary says that a legacy is anything handed down from the past. A legacy can be something that that is material, like money. And a legacy can also be something that is non-material, like family sayings even. My wife keeps telling me that I sound like me dad. Any of you know what I'm talking about? Do you ever say anything that sounds like one of your parents? Or somebody you spend a lot of time with? I do, I agree with Tina. Sometimes I'll say something and I'll think, I sounded just like me dad then. When I've had a meal, I'll say, oh, it was lovely, that. When my dad finished the meal, he always said, oh, it was lovely, that. Now I'm saying it. When I'm calling our cat over, I'll go, come on, kid. When my dad used to call his dog over, he'd go, come on, kid. Now I'm saying it to our cat. Come on, kid. A-up is another one. (laughs) A-up. A-up, Baz. Now I'm saying it. Manx, don't say it up. He was from Yorkshire. I was from Manchester. Nice one, top one, sorted, bang out of order, innit? Hey, up. <laughs> don't fit, does it? See, he's handed down some of his sayings to me. A legacy is anything handed down from the past. So your wounds are a legacy from the past. You just need to realise it. We've just published a new book called Fixed Lives. And it just so happens that we have some of those with us today at the back. Fixed Lives is 13 different stories of lives that have been fixed by God from the background of addiction. I host a conference in Manchester every year called Fixed. And off the back of that conference, this book has been put together. So we launched it at our last Fix conference. We get 500 people come from all over the United Kingdom, from the northeast of Scotland, from Bournemouth in England, from London, from Midlands, from, from, they come from all over the place. 
Well, 13 different. If you purchase a copy of that today, all the proceeds from anything on that table, by the way, go to the work of Proclaimed Trust. So if you want to support the work that I do in the jails, I come to Scottish jails, I'm coming back up here in no, I'm coming about six times this year, I'm in Scotland, but I'm coming up in November to do all the Scottish jails. So all the finance that we get for anything we sell at the back there goes into the work of Proclaimed Trust. So that's one way that you can support us. And my book, Once an Addict, do you know, I mentioned it last time I was here and I mentioned it last night. We started a project to give a copy of that to every single prisoner in the country. Right now, there's 84,000 prisoners behind bars in the United Kingdom. 84,000. We've sent 42,000 copies of that book out. Free of charge. For every one copy of Once an Addict You Buy, we send two into prisons free, like we did last year. So you're buying three, you're not buying one, you're buying two. Fixed lives. One of the people in that book is Cyril Wilding. If you could meet Cyril for yourself, you'd like him. He's got short hair, he's got a cheeky smile. And he's one of those people who can't do enough for you. Do you know the kind? Cyril was born in Wigan, Greater Manchester. Then, when he was 12 years old... He was groomed by a relative. This so-called relative and another man sexually abused Cyril for two years non-stop. You can imagine that this hit him hard. His life spiralled out of control. He started to drink, take drugs, commit crime. He ended up in a gang. It was in the middle of this mess when Cyril started to cut himself. At first, he would rip open a beer can and he'd use the ragged edge as a blade. And then he started using sharp knives and he would cut himself and cut himself and cut himself. You should see his arms there plastered with Wounds. Cyril got arrested and put in prison. And the wounds on his arms were so bad that he got put on suicide watch. One day, a prison visitor called Beryl came to visit him in his cell. She said, Cyril, I've come to see you because I've heard that you like to cut yourself. He said, I do. She said, do you mind if I pray with you? He said, if you want. That day in his cell, Beryl prayed with Cyril and he met with God. And he stopped cutting himself. Now Cyril is in his early 40s, he's married and he works at the Message Trust in Manchester. I was speaking to Cyril not so long back and I asked him what, what he thought about his wounds now. He said, I'm okay with them really. At one point, I was going to get them covered with tattoos. But then I realised that my wounds are a legacy from the past. What about you and your wounds? Have you been wounded by a family member? Have you been wounded when somebody broke your trust? Have you been wounded when you've cut yourself like Cyril? Listen, whichever way it is that you've been wounded, because we're all walking wounded, we've all got wounds of some sort, you need to realise that your wounds 
are a legacy from the past. Today I'm talking about the walking wounded. Wounds are a legacy from the past. And number two, wounds don't dictate the future. I know for many of us here, the opposite is the case. Because our wounds have dictated the future. Of yours, I know mine have. I was wounded again and again and again. And for years, my wounds dictated the future. If you'd have been around in Moss Side back in the day, you'd have seen me when I was a drug dealer. I was making lots of money. And the more money that I made, the more drugs that I took. I was taking all kinds of drugs, and my heroin habit was massive. I got arrested and put in Platte Lane Police Station. In those days, they gave you no treatment. So you can imagine my withdrawal symptoms from all the drugs that I was on. Man, I was in so much pain. I was rattling big time. I remember one night looking out of the hatch in my cell door. And I saw this little four-foot creature sat outside my cell on the floor. It was thin. It had a flat head and it was dressed like an Arab. And this little creature was sat with its legs crossed and it was getting some heroin ready to inject. I said, give me some of that. I've got some money in my property. I'll pay you when I get out. This creature looked up at me. Its teeth were black and broken and it smiled. I said, come on, give me some of that. I'm rattling here. And then I heard some keys jangling. And I looked up. And the police officer was walking down the corridor towards me. I'm like, hurry up. The copper's coming. The copper's coming. Give me some of that. And I'll pay you. When I get out, the copper got closer and closer. He, he got outside my cell. And he walked through the creature... to the hatch in my cell door. It blew me away. Here I was in a cell, in so much pain, hallucinating. I was wounded. I hadn't seen my mum and dad for months. And one day I thought, I'll go and see me mum. When I got there, she wasn't in. So me dad opened the door. Oh no, I didn't want to see him. If you'd been there, you'd have heard the argument that we had about drugs. I said, Dad, they knew I was taking drugs by now because the police were always on the doorstep. I said, Dad, there's nothing wrong with taking drugs. Young people do that now, Dad. You're just old-fashioned. You like to have a drink. Young people now take drugs. Oh, he was angry. He said to me, of all the things you've turned out to be, you've turned out to be a blankety-blank, blank, 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 blank. A blankety-blank smackhead. He says, you're not my blankety-blank son anymore. He disowned me. 
We didn't speak for seven years. I was wounded again. One time, I was going out with a girl called Tanya. Well, her real name was Sharon, but in my book I've called her Tanya for legal reasons. (laughs) When I was going out with Tanya, all I would do all day long was practice DJing on my Technics 1200 turntables while she was out at work. If you'd been there, you'd have seen me. All day long, practicing and practicing and practicing. I'd practice all day and then I'd be out all night. I was eight stone, my skin was milk bottle white. I looked like Smeagol from the Lord of the Rings. (laughs) On ecstasy. In the end, she sussed out I was on drugs. Not surprised. She didn't need to be Sherlock to work that one out. We split up. I was wounded again. All I had to nap my name was my decks, my mixer, my records, an Adidas bag full of clothes, and my red Orion car. It was early hours of the morning, and I'm in central Manchester, in my car, driving towards a set of traffic lights. And I said out loud, if those traffic lights turn to red, by the time I get to them, I'm going to show my... on Buxton Market. I got to the traffic lights, and they was on red. Right, I'm off to Buxton. It's a long way from central Manchester. As I was driving to Buxton, I had an overwhelming sense that God was sending me there. If you'd have been at Buxton Marketplace at three o'clock that morning, you'd have witnessed it for yourself. I did exactly what I set out to do. I got back in my car, sort of driving again, and then I noticed a blue flashing light behind me in my mirror. Pull over. Oh no! I'd been banned from driving. And I was using a false license. He asked to see my license. I gave him my license. He looked at it. He looked at me. I'm trying to look dead innocent. (laughs) In it. He didn't radio in to check it. He gave it me back. Got back in the car. I needed a room for the night. So I knocked on 17 hotel doors. Telling each one of them, I need a room for the night. God has sent me here. I didn't get a room. I ended up in the pavilion gardens, walking around, and I came to a stream. I got to the stream, I thought, oh, I need to cross the stream. I undressed. 
stepped into the stream and waded across it. Up the bank the other side and I came to this big building with a glass door. So I walked to this big building and I started to bang on the door. The light came on. A woman came walking towards me. The other side of the glass door. She got to the other side of the door. God sent me here. I need a room for the night. You should have seen her face. She didn't open the door. (laughs) Would you open the door? At half three in the morning to a naked man who looked like Smeagol on ecstasy my precious in it <laughs> and then I saw the blue flashing light again no siren just the flashing light coming towards me down this little winding road to where I was I thought oh no I'm naked and my clothes are on the other side of the river so I ran down to the river and I waded across again. And I'm looking for my clothes. I'm like, where's my clothes gone? The police were coming towards me. And then I remembered this dream that I'd had. Just a few nights before, a very vivid dream where I'd fallen into this water. And as I fell into this water, I fell through it. And as I fell through it, I was cleansed. And I thought, that dream's going to come true. So I ran back to the river to a part that looked really deep. And I stood with my back to the river. And thinking, I'm going to get away from the police. That dream's going to come true. The police officers are walking towards me. And I held my nose. Because I didn't want to get water up my nose. And I jumped back like this off the back of the ledge into the deep river and as I jumped in it was only two inches deep (laughs) (laughs) police officers come to the bank one of them gave me a blanket I said to one of them God sent me here aye son I'm sure he has he must have been thinking this guy's three fries short of a happy meal I got arrested and remanded in custody. I ended up in Leicester Prison on the hospital wing. I was wounded again. See, I was wounded again and again and again and again. And for years, these wounds dictated my future. Then after 15 years, All this changed. I was living on the outskirts of Manchester, on my own, in a flat, down the cul-de-sac. And I met three people throughout a ten-day period. One of them was a guy that I got chatting to on the bus, who had a borsal dot, a big fat neck and short stumpy fingers. One of them was my Nigerian psychiatrist, Dr. Samuel Yangi. And one of them was my next-door but one neighbour. She invited me to church. I went to church one Sunday morning. 
I was sat there thinking, these guys are all basket cases. They're waving the flags around and doing the Pentecostal two-step. Banging the tambourines on. These guys are basket cases. And the guy gets up to speak and he said, we believe in a God who can heal. Is there anybody here with any issues? I'm thinking, is he having a laugh or what? Anybody in the, do, has anybody got any issues? I've got plenty of those. If you want to be prayed for, come to the front. So I got out of my seat and I walked to the front. In it. I was the only one stood there. He put his hand on my head and he started to pray. As he started to pray, something happened. I had an encounter with God. It changed the whole course of my life. I was changed 20 years ago and I stand before you today still changed. You can't tell me that God isn't real. You can't tell me that God isn't alive because he's real, he's alive and he's active. I was changed. And that was when God's plan was activated in my life and it soon became clear that my wounds don't dictate my future because God's come up with a better idea. I found it in the Bible where he says, there is hope for your future. So now my wounds don't dictate my future anymore. Yes, I'm still walking wounded. What's that? Mank with a wounded leg. (laughs) But my wounds don't dictate my future anymore. What about your wounds? Have you been wounded by somebody who abandoned you? Have you been wounded by a broken relationship? Have you been wounded time and time and time again like me? Listen, it doesn't matter which way you've been wounded because with God on your case, those wounds don't dictate your future. You see, God's got a new future that is packed with hope planned out for you. The Bible is God's instruction book. And in there it says that God has a plan for you. He has a plan to prosper you. A plan not to harm you. A plan to give you a hope and a future. See, God's got a new future planned for you. It just needs to be activated. And when it is activated, it soon soon becomes clear that your wounds... Don't dictate your future. Today I'm talking about the walking wounded. Wounds are a legacy from the past. Wounds don't dictate the future. And number three, wounds are not beyond repair. The police officer said that night that Bob was walking wounded. And I know that there are some of you here who are like Bob. Not that you wear obnail boots. Anybody wear obnail boots? One or two of you ladies. The ponytail gives it away. But you are like him because you feel like you've been hit with a 48 inch long police issue riot stick and you've been hurt and you're in pain. You've been wounded. Listen, those wounds are not beyond repair. The Bible says that, he heals the bro- that God heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. See, wounds are not beyond repair. Lisa Ayabande discovered this. Lisa. She's got black hair, blue eyes, a bubbly character, and she's married to a Nigerian guy called Delhi. Lisa was a heroin addict, and she was a working girl working the streets of Bradford. 
Then she was going out with a drug dealer. One night she was staying at his flat. The next morning they heard somebody banging on the door. So her boyfriend gets up, goes to the door, opens the door. It's his ex-girlfriend. If you'd have been there, you'd have seen her. She came hurtling through the door into the bedroom where Lisa was laying in bed and she started to lay into her. Going frantic. Lisa gets up, she pushes her away and then she feels something wet in her stomach. It was blood. Then she feels the, the blood on her chest, on her neck, on her arms. There was blood everywhere. Oh no, I've been stabbed. A boyfriend... And her boyfriend's brother, brother wrestled the girl to the ground. She got arrested, taken to the police station. And Lisa was taken in an ambulance to the hospital. She had 70 stitches. The wounds in her chest were so bad that they had to use staples. As you can imagine, this attack hit her hard. She was hurt. She was in pain. She was wounded. She lived with these wounds for eight years. Then she met some Christians. And they invited her to an event one night in Manchester. So she went. She said that night when the guy was speaking, he knew everything about me. It was like he'd read my mail. And then at the end of his talk, he said, if there's anybody here who would like to be prayed for, for past hurt and past pain, come to the front. So she went to the front and she was prayed for. And as she was being prayed for, she started to cry. And she kept crying and crying and crying. And she told me, the more I cried, the more I felt relieved. And then when she stood up, she said to me, it was like, I felt like I emerged out of those tears. A brand new person. Because God had taken away all my hurt and all my pain. See, God heals the brokenhearted and he bandages their wounds. See, your wounds are not beyond repair. What God did for Lisa, he can do for you. 2,000 years ago, 2,000 miles away, God became a man. His name is Jesus. And he allowed himself to be nailed to a cross on that day. They beat him. He was wounded. He carried an every cross through town. He was wounded. They put a crown of thorns on his head. He was wounded. They hammered nails through his feet and his hands. He was wounded. That day, Jesus, God with skin on, was walking wounded. He died on that cross to pay the price for all your faults, for all your flaws, for all your failures. He died on that cross to take away all your hurt. And all your pain, the Bible says, by his wounds you are healed. See, he knows we're all walking wounded. That's why he came. And right now he's waiting to bandage your wounds. See, your wounds are not beyond repair. Because God can repair them for you, just like he did for Lisa. But he gives you a choice. And he's waiting for you to choose. Today I'm talking about the walking wounded. Wounds are our legacy from the past. Wounds don't dictate the future. Wounds are not beyond repair. And wounds position you to walk with the wounded. The police officer said that night that Bob was walking wounded. This is the term used by the emergency services for someone who's been wounded in an incident, but who is still 
able to walk. And do you know that in a massive incident, the emergency services will often use the walking wounded to assist them with others who've been wounded. You've all seen it on the TV. When there's been a big incident of some kind, where there's been lots of casualties. You see the carnage and the chaos on the streets. You see the collapsed buildings. The rubble. The dust. The cars on fire. People walking around shocked and dazed. The paramedics rushing around. You can hear the sirens going on and on. And then you see the guy with the blood running down his head. With the dirty ripped suit. Walking and limping. With his arm around somebody else who's been injured. He's got his arm around his back and he's got his arm around his neck. And he's walking alongside him. Carrying him to safety. See, he's walking wounded himself. He's been hurt in the same incident. And now he's in a position to help somebody else. See, his wounds have positioned him to walk with the wounded. It's the same with us. Our wounds position us to walk with the wounded. Paul puts it this way in the message version of the Bible. He says that God comes alongside us when we're going through it. And before you know it, he brings us alongside somebody else who's going through it. And I know some of you have been through it. You've been wounded. Listen, when you've been through it, you can then help others go through it. See your wounds position you to walk with the wounded. Cyril was sexually abused. And he used to cut himself. Now he speaks to those who are being abused and those who self-harm. His wounds have positioned him. I was a heroin addict for 15 years and I was in and out of jail. Now I host a conference for addicts. And I speak in 30 jails a year. My wounds have positioned me. Lisa was a working girl. And she was attacked. Now she works with street workers. And those victims of violence, see, her wounds have positioned us. You see, we've been through it. And now with God on our case, we're helping others go through it. Because our wounds have positioned us to walk with the wounded. What about your wounds? How have your wounds positioned you? What kind of wounded person could you come, up, come alongside? See, I know you've been wounded. Listen, those wounds position you to walk with the wounded. I'm going to finish by taking us back to my flat in that tower block on the seventh floor. It was two o'clock in the morning. Me and my girlfriend were smoking weed, listening to amphetamine, uh, taking amphetamine, listening to, listening to amphetamine. <laughs> that would be a new experience, wouldn't it? Whizzing off our heads on amphetamine, listening to house music. The door went. Is that the police? No, they don't knock. Lise went to the door, and it was Bob. Bob comes in, he sits down on the seat next to the music equipment. 
I start to show him how I made live house music, and then he says, can I use your toilet? Of course you can. He goes through to the toilet, comes back with my watch on his wrist. I went ballistic. I grabbed my 48-inch long police-issue right stick, and I laid into him. Who do you think you are? Coming into my flat. My wife's making you a butty and a brew. You've got the cheek to come in. I'm mad. He says, like, buddy, you're going to kill him, you're going to kill him. I stopped. But I rushed out of the flat, limping. Cuts all over his head. Five minutes later, the police came bursting through the door into the living room. One of them was chatting on his radio. He had a quick look round. The victim isn't here. He's gone. And then he said he's walking wounded. Bob was walking wounded that night. I know that most of you have not been wounded in the same way that Bob was. But we've all been wounded by those incidents that occur that leave us with some kind of pain. See, we're all walking wounded. Please stand. Just going to ask, just come back up, just to get ready. Just before we have some music, I want to finish, as I finish all my meetings, by praying a prayer. You see, God stands at the door of our life. You see, if God was a burglar, he'd wait for it to go dark. And then he'd come and try and kick in the back door. If he couldn't kick in the back door, he'd try and kick in the side door. If he couldn't kick in the doors, he'd try and jam in through the windows. That's if God was a burglar. But God isn't a burglar. He'll only ever come in through the legal entry. The legal entry to my house at home is the front door. The legal entry to your life, the front door to your life, is your will. And he stands at that door and he knocks, and he knocks, and he knocks. And he waits for you to open the door. And when you open the door, he comes in and he starts to fix us. He starts to repair us, like he did with Lisa. But it needs you. Because he's waiting to bandage your wounds, but it needs you to make a choice. You need to make a choice for yourself before he can get those bandages out and get to work. And I'm going to finish by praying this prayer. And there's two groups of people going to pray this prayer with me. The first group of those people who have never prayed a prayer before, where you've never given God consent to come into your life. It could be that you've been attending this church and enjoying the great music, by the way. I'm sure enjoying the messages from Steve and the other guys that speak. I want to say on behalf of the leadership, you're welcome to keep coming to this church, but coming to church is not it. See, it's not what you know, it's who you know. We need to know God. It's the, it, you need to know God. And if you have never given God consent to come into your life, it doesn't matter whether you're 9, 19 or 99, it could be that you've been dragged here by a family member and you're coming just to please them because it's what your family does. Listen, God's knocking on your door and he wants to come in. But he gives you a choice. He's waiting to bandage your wounds. So if you've never prayed a prayer where you've given God consent to come in, you could have prayed, you could have prayed a few crisis prayers. God, help me, help me with my exams, Lord. Or, or like I used to pray, God, God give me bail. <laughs> never got bail. So this isn't a crisis prayer. This is a prayer where you're giving God consent to come in. The second group of people are those people who have prayed a prayer, you've started your Christian journey, you've got going, 
And you might have been on that journey for a while, but you know right now you're not cutting it. You're not living how God wants you to live. Listen, the Bible says there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. As you've already said. About grace. But all I mean to say to the second group is just pray this prayer and just get back on track. Get going again. And as you leave this place, God will forgive and pray for you. He'll forgive and forget. And as you leave this place, you'll have a brand new slate. Brand new clean slate. So I'm going to pray this prayer. Two groups. Those people who have never prayed a prayer before. God's knocking on your door. He wants to come in. But he gives you, the choice is yours. He's not going to burgle his way in. And the second are those people who are done a prayer to get back on track. Everybody else, you make up the third group. Are we ready? Let's bow our heads. Repeat after me all three groups, phrase by phrase. Dear God, I come to you today and I admit that I'm not perfect. Forgive me, God, for my faults, for my flaws, and for my failures. God, I ask that you wipe my slate clean because today is the day when I'm opening my door and I'm giving you consent to come in. I ask that you get busy repairing my life. Get out your bandages and repair my wounds. While the heads are bowed and are looking around, if you've prayed that prayer and you're part of that first group or the second group, I want you to raise your hand so I can see it as quickly as you can.